What's up, everybody? This is Dan Whitehead coming at you for the fourth episode of Life Too Seriously, my podcast for you all to enjoy. This week on the podcast is my good buddy, Mike Anderson, Michael Anderson. I still to this day don't know which one to call him. I always call him Mike. Then he introduces himself sometimes as Michael and in movies and stuff. So I, I feel like I should really try to ask him which one he prefers. Anyway, he doesn't seem to mind when I call him Mike. So maybe he's cool with either one. Who knows? Anywho, um, I'm down in Maryland this week. That's where this episode was recorded in my brother's soon-to-be former apartment, just like the one uh, I did with Patrick a couple weeks back. That seems like forever ago. But uh, anywho, I'm uh, in the process of uh, shooting a movie, short film, that I wrote and am currently directing and doing sound for and producing and wearing a couple hats on this one. Um, but uh, it's okay. I like doing it. I love uh, the people I'm working with. They're really, uh, really top-notch um, people to collaborate with. And I've worked with a few times, including Mike himself. He's the lead. I wrote this part for him, uh, or at least with him in mind. And we've worked uh, together on this. This is our third project together. First time as director and actor, respectively. Um, in the past, I was always producer and he as actor. So this is the first time where he's actually getting some um, direction from me. But a lot of the other crew is the same. Um, Patrick, our buddy Will, who uh, we're going to try to have on in a future installment. Um, we're going to see where we can make that happen. He's a big drone guy, so it'd be cool to uh, collaborate on that and um, and see what he has to say about that kind of stuff. So um, what to say about this episode? Well, it's actually a really good one. Uh, in the process of recording it, I felt... Um, it's one of my favorites actually. And it was his first time, Mike, that is, uh, first time on the mic, funny enough, um, and never recording an episode. And that was super cool. Um, and, uh, we talked about Disney movies from when we were a kid, cause we have the new Lion King coming out. We talked about, uh, the importance of culture being represented as far as like in the movies, um, this new Lion King being an entirely, almost entirely black cast, versus the original, which was almost an entirely white cast, despite being a movie that took place in Africa and things like that. We talked about um, his choice to go into acting and law and why they're so similar and um, the kind of, I don't want to say horrors, but uh, the downside of the movie business, of the acting business, and how important it is to find a passion that you really love and if you love it that much, um, you find a way to really make it work. He, we were talking about um, how he took two years off between school and uh, what he did with his time in between in between then while trying to become an actor. So that was really interesting um, and something you'll hear more about when we get into it. But uh, yeah, without further ado, I don't, I don't want to waste too much more time. Uh, I just let you guys get into the episode. It's a good one. Um, and we should have a fresh one next week as well. So be on the lookout for that. Don't forget to follow us on, follow me, just me. I don't know why I always say us. It makes it sound bigger or something. I don't know, but make sure to follow me on my, uh, Instagram life to seriously pod. That's life to T O O seriously pod. 
where you'll get all the updates for the new episodes and things like that. You can also follow my photography page at Dan Whitehead Photo on Instagram. And you can also follow my uh, LLC, if you like, Whitehead Brothers Limited. Um, that's it. So without further ado, here's Mike Anderson. <clears throat> okay. Sorry, you don't get matching headphones. Ah, oh, damn. Yes. So this is really your first podcast? <laughs> yes. Total, really? total newbie. Okay, so what do you, what do you, uh, what do you tend to listen to? Uh, well, I mean, like, a little bit of everything. I've started listening to a couple more, um, like, acting-based or, like, art, the, mm -hmm. creating, the creating artists. Um, but, yeah, I'm, like, I've just got it started moving into listening more podcasts, so... Right. Open them also all choices and all recommendations. So. Yeah, I tend to uh, respond to the um, what do you call it? Like interview based ones, like Armchair Expert and things like that, because it keeps it fresh. You know, having yeah. different people on there and stuff like that. The only problem you run into is sometimes a story may repeat. You know, because if like Dax is like, and I'm sure you, you probably realize this, but like when Dax will be interviewing somebody, if something comes up again, he's like. I already told the story, but, you know, and you kind of have to listen to it again and stuff like that. But otherwise, I think it's really cool. Well, it's also kind of fun to listen to also the, like their reactions. Like if it's something that they've already covered, mm -hmm. they might add something, you know, that missed out the first time around. That's so true. It's kind of like a catch all. Yeah. Something, kind of... something they forgot or whatever. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I was thinking I always like to think about like um, how I interact or first met people. And we kind of were talking about it yesterday, but um, our first interaction was three years ago yeah about three four years ago three years 2016 ago. right yeah mm -hmm. it was for a um a project a my um junior level narrative class or whatever and i was tasked with being the producer on it and kind of casting director i wore a couple hats but mainly producer um and uh wear all the hats <laughs> yeah well and it's okay because i i've i've been wearing a few hats on this one too that we're working on. Mm -hmm. um, we'll, we'll talk about that one in a minute. But um, yeah, so what, I forget, did we, we did it through Backstage? How did I, how did we find each other? We did it through Backstage. And I think at the time, I, so I had just, I had just graduated from Tulane, from down in New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And um, definitely wanted to take a break from any further, like, education, academic stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to get some real world experience in at the time. Right. Uh, so when I came back home to Maryland, to Baltimore, I decided that I'd start, you know, working a little bit more on trying to get, um, you know, like more experience doing on-camera work because mm -hmm. up until that point, predominantly my experience had been more on stage. Right. So I was trying to build up a reel, trying to get a better feel for what it's like acting on camera, and uh, yeah, I, I like I start, I enlisted onto backstage and uh, saw the listing for Cold War, and uh, I think the breakdown for Max was like sarcastic witty know-it-all yeah, ambitious yeah. i was like damn i check off all these <laughs> so i'm like all right i'll go for this yeah yeah and uh yeah i went in and uh auditioned for you guys i actually still remember uh to this day i, I th this is actually pretty funny i remember going in meeting you guys and then i literally did the whole thing and then i saw you like midway through while reading like lean in and I was like, oh, good. I must have done something right. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, I'll keep doing that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So that was pretty cool doing that with so, you guys. Yeah. So you went to what What was the college you went to? 
Tulane University. It was down in New Orleans. And you went for theater production? Uh, I went for, uh, so I was international relations and okay. theater performance. So okay. I was a double major and basically as liberal arts as you can get, <laughs> like getting that, that degree itself. When I tell people, they're like, oh yeah, so you did not want to make money at all. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, so the, the goal for that for me was I knew, um, at that point, I, at that point I was really interested in, uh, learning new cultures, learning new languages. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I've managed to get to the point where I could speak multiple and still do. And, uh, that's why international relations struck me as like, you know, an interesting, another secondary major to go for. Mm -hmm. Um, but theater I knew was definitely going to be one of them that I wanted to major in when I got there. So you, so you took on that, um, Say one more time, the international... International relations, relations. and theater performance. And yeah. theater performance. <laughs> so you took on international relations purely because you like doing different languages? It was more like, um, it was more kind of like I, I, so international relations focused a lot more on like the UN and mm -hmm. like international politics, mm -hmm. uh, like the interactions between countries and how they, like also like how they negotiate like different conflicts, whether it's like on a socioeconomic scale, cultural scale, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in interstate conflict. Right. Um, and that was something that I've, I'd always been fascinated in. Like I always read up a lot of that in history and it just struck me as something that I would be very interested in and I wanted to go for it. Um, mainly because, you know, it, I thought it was, I, I thought it was like an engaging topic and definitely at least something that I could build up on going forward in the future. Cause I knew even at that time, that down the road, the plan was to go into law school. And, um, yeah, I thought that would be a good, like sounding board or a uh, building block to get the skills that I need to, needed necessary to go forward. Right. And, um, yeah. And again, it kind of like connected, interconnected with theater because it was the, at the crux of it, it's like connecting with people and mm -hmm. having the empathy to learn about their background or their, you know, their, their life experiences. So, did you always have this interest in acting or was it something that kind of came later? No, no, I always had this interest in acting. <laughs> yeah. I can, I can definitely date it back. I, I know specifically when, and it's a very vivid memory because my dad is very fond of saying it. My, my very first acting experience was I watched, uh, the animated Peter Pan, mm -hmm. which was, a it's a Disney classic. Yep. Absolutely love. Yep. Um, but then I, after watching that, I not only got, it, I think I was like five or six. I not only was able to remember the lines of the characters and be able to recite them verbatim. Mm -hmm. I then proceeded to try to put on a skit that involved at one point me jumping out of our barn attic onto a trampoline to try to fly. Sure. <laughs> as any sane kid would do. Right, right. And miraculously didn't end it in any broken bones or anything like that, but it definitely scared the hell out of my mom at that yeah. point, who was like, Oh, we gotta we gotta do something with this kid. He's got way too much energy. Yeah, yeah. So um that from there I started enrolling into like community theater and just stuck with it all throughout middle school and high school. And yeah, it's, it's, I think that the, the main thing for me that I, I was fascinated with was because early on, I not only would, like I said, I not only would pick up the lines of the characters, mm. but I found myself as I would watch, uh, the great classics like Iron Giant, mm -hmm. you know, um, what are some other ones? Fern Gully, Pokemon, the movie, mm -hmm. all these other things that, you know, we grew up with as kids. Uh, I found myself kind of creating my own characters and kind of 
placing it into the story sure. and then using that as we, like, you know, when you would hang out with friends and you try to like make up stories as you mm-hmm. went along, like ro- role playing, like whether it was based off of Dragon Ball Z or all this mm-hmm. other stuff, you'd kind of come up with your own character and like go from there. So right. I think that's where that kind of stemmed from was like, you know, interested in like creating something else other than yourself and, yeah. you know, becoming that role. Yeah, it's so funny that you kind of went that way because I had a similar experience i didn't jump out of a attic or anything like that but um just in like i had this ability and it was just funny i was just talking about it with my mom this morning on the phone um we were saying that you know and you kind of mentioned it yesterday that my brother and i approach uh film stuff differently you know even just as simple as i like short clips he likes long clips like something like that but we were so we started talking about like even from a child um, you know, I would always, they put me in front of the TV. I was good for hours. Mm-hmm. He was all over the place, crawling into things, getting himself into things, whatever. And so it's continued like that. And I still watch probably more than he does. I mean, I, I watch significantly less overall than I used to just cause I'm doing other things. But, um, it's just interesting that I was able to like absorb all of these things. And I used to watch things at nauseam mm-hmm. to my parents, um, chagrin, but, um, <laughs> Oh my God, he wants to watch Pinocchio again. Oh my God, you know. Um, and this oh my God, I think that was uh, I think that was Hercules for me, which yeah. my parents never complained about. But then right. I would like the fact that I would sing like Zero to Hero or like all throughout the house, mm-hmm. and my parents would be like, "Oh God, we got to get him out. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. can't stand this anymore." Yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't. I I'm, and I'm still not a singer. I mean, I I sing knowing that I can't sing, but I just do it of anyway course. for fun. Of course. Um, Really great in the car, in the shower. Really good harmonizer, but uh, otherwise. But uh, it's such a struggle to sing lead and backup at the yeah. same time. Haven't you found that? Yeah, you have to do every part. It's so annoying, yeah. you know. Like, but <laughs> we we trudge on. Right? I'm gonna I'm gonna power through if it yeah. kills me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then what I found in the car, as a side note, is I try to at at the very least match their volume you know mm-hmm. i never want to go louder because i don't want to hear myself and go ooh. so if i just get a, that little taste of it throughout i'm like okay i could sing like them and in, in truth i can't but yeah if and, it's if it's crooning i can definitely do it if it's like crooning low level baritone that stuff but then if it, it requires like i don't know we're talking like high level stuff i i like adele mm-hmm. you know level i'm like I'll, I'm gonna try but it's yeah. not gonna go it's not gonna come off well have you done any <laughs> kind of singing uh, I, I did. I've actually done a musical. I did musical theater in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, I would classify myself more as like going forward. A lot of times what actors do is they like they they categorize what they excel at sure. over the other. So they'll say, like, I'm a singer who can act, mm-hmm. which means singing is their primary thing. But they can. So like, I guess in a good example would probably be we Whitney Houston or Beyonce, mm-hmm. um, but both of them in uh, are their primary goal with their career is singing. Right. But they do have definitely have acting jobs. Sure. Uh, or you would say I'm an actor who can sing, mm-hmm. which would probably be um, I wouldn't say Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman's well, Hugh Jackman's Hugh Jackman. <laughs> right. Would you say like um, a Bradley Cooper? Bradley. Co- yeah, definitely. Bra- well, Bradley Cooper is above the norm because he's definitely got a great, like excellent singing voice. Mm-hmm. Um What's a good one? You, uh, you know what? He, even though he didn't, I, I, I will say this, even though like he did get harsh reviews, um, probably Pierce Brosnan from Mamma Mia when he okay. sang, uh, okay. when he was at like that, that level would be like actor who can sing, like mm-hmm. someone who can pass as singing. Um, and for me, I probably would classify myself more as a ladder because I, I can definitely hold carry a tune. And I can right. definitely sing, but I'm no like 
spellbinding, you know, spellbinding, incredible, uh, like uh, Adele level performance mm-hmm. or um, what's the name? Oh, uh, what's the name of the girl who just got cast as Ariel? Hallie, Hallie Bailey? Halle Bailey. I Bailey, think. yeah. Similar yeah. to Halle Berry, but yeah. yeah I, I thought that too. Like, yeah. I remember, like, the news broke about uh, the cast and it said Halle Berry. I read it as Halle Berry and I'm like, wait, really? <laughs> yeah. And I was, I, then I read it like, no, Bailey. Oh, different person. <laughs> yeah. Different person. Yeah. Completely different age yeah. group. And, there, yeah. Well, you know, for me, like, because Little Mermaid for me, like, it, I can get why, you know, you get growing up with the, these, classic Disney films, you get like a set image in mind mm-hmm. of like what the characters are like. But there's a, there's a video online on YouTube that I highly recommend people watch. It's of I think it is the actual audition with Halle Bar- Bailey. Sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, she's singing Nat King Cole's Unforgettable. Mm-hmm. It is insane. Like she's got, it, it's almost like she has a very, she sings it pinpoint perfect but there's a quality to her voice that makes it her own Mm -hmm. and that i always give like massive props to because it is so hard for a singer to take a song that is so well known like um like uh what what would be a good example like uh sia's chandelier Mm -hmm. or um what's another classic anything phil collins related you know and like making it your own yeah um so in my mind, after singing that, I was like, yeah, damn, she's she's definitely Ariel. <laughs> yeah. And I think I mean, I think also what you're kind of getting at, too, is it's a cartoon. Right. So like already there's a level of it's they're not a real person. So right. it doesn't matter what they look like because I know they're getting a lot of backlash for because she's, I think, African-American or yeah. Hispanic or something. I'm not sure. But either way, not a white girl with red hair or something. Right. So everyone's like giving her crap for it. It's like, well, one, did you see her yet? Yeah. You know, and, and all that stuff. And it's like, again, it's a cartoon. It's it's accessible. I mean, it's the same. Why didn't we have an issue with Lion King, the cartoon, when white people were voicing African animals? Exactly. I think that was, and that was like a majority because it was, mm-hmm. I, I was looking through it. It was like, it was Matthew Broderick. Right. It was um, Jeremy Irons. Jeremy Irons. Uh, the, the only one, I think, uh, James Earl Jones. Right. Uh, besides maybe a smattering of like supporting African-Americans who were... Mm-hmm. The original voice in Lion King and that had like when I read that I was like that's that, that's all 10 different forms of 10,000 different forms of wrong right like because you you're doing something that's like you know it's an it's a granted it is an animated film mm-hmm. um, but it's you're taking a story that ha- has such deep meaning to a whole community you know a massive group of people that mm-hmm. it has such a cultural background cultural meaning to them so I, in many ways, like looking at the back of like the crew that they have assembled for this, right. um, I'm like, the, this is definitely going to be, it's going to be, it's definitely a, uh, a, it's a new, it is, it's Lion King, but it's almost a version of its own right. because it's fixing something that was absent in the prior one. Right. And that's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that it's part of, part of growing and all that kind of stuff. We're not saying we're going to change every single character, but because it was coming from a cartoon, because there wasn't from what I know, like Little Mermaid wasn't coming from a book or anything like that, right? They just made it up for the sake of a cartoon. So let's, let's change it. Why not? Why let's, um, you know, adapt it to a more present audience or more present day audience and uh, see where it goes. I, I mean, this is also someone who I've seen um, Little Mermaid enough. I wouldn't say I like, was a crazy fan of it. I've seen it. Um, So it doesn't bother me as much, but it wouldn't bother me even if like they did a a black James Bond or or something like that that people have these issues with. It's like 
They're made up characters. Who cares? Yeah. You know? And plus, massive hoarder. I mean, right. yeah. <laughs> you saw the size of that closet, right? I mean, oh my God. Yes, he's a massive hoarder, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and I think the interesting thing is like, it, granted, it is a whole, it's a massive trend that Disney is doing right now where they're trying to like, it, 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 you know, it's harsh to say, but they're basically, you know, cashing in on our nostalgia mm-hmm. as in our generation. Like, oh, we, yeah. we are all like, so many of us remember the times back in the 90s where it was just like the reigning era of like Fruit by the Foot, Tamagotchi, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, uh, animated series, uh, Batman, the animated series, Spider-Man, all this other stuff that you mm-hmm. would watch. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, Disney's basically like, OK, we're going to cash in on that nostalgia that this generation is feeling yeah. by remaking everything and re- reminiscing about, you know, the, when we were young, essentially. Because right. now we're adults, we're in our 20s or even maybe early 30s. <clears throat> possibly having kids or married or something like that. So they're going to try to use that to say, like, look, we're giving you an updated version. Now you can show your next generation and keep it going that much longer. Yeah. Um, So it is very smart on Disney and all these guys' parts. But then there's also now a lack of new material, too. Yeah. Um, Because we also not only live in a nostalgia age, we live in a reboot age Mm -hmm. um, or a sequel age. Um, You know, I love the Marvel movies as much as anybody but we live in this you know oh we're gonna get this one and we automatically are gonna get two more right yeah we saw spider-man homecoming we already knew we're gonna get two more we saw you know uh captain marvel there's already gonna be at least two more you know all this kind of stuff they sign these big contracts so you have to kind of look for these little movies that um really show something different i I haven't seen it yet but i'm hearing really good things about midsummer mm-hmm. oh, um, yeah. you know and that's something that you know is important to have those kinds of things to have these little move and it's unfortunate that they're little movies quote unquote um and not bigger movies yeah but it's yeah it's definitely important to have those things to kind of counteract one thing that i will say about the fact that this whole trend of like rebooting films and reboot like re- readapting them to be like live action or mm-hmm. something is it's very interesting to watch how people not only perceive the story itself, but also the new components that are added to the story. Mm-hmm. Um, because at least I find that, because uh, I found it very interesting to start. Like, for example, um, years ago when they did, uh, well, I say that years ago, like ages, I think it was, it must, it was, two, what is it, 2016? When they did oh, the live action, uh, no, uh, Ghost in the Shell. Oh, okay. Um, with when that whole scandal erupted and controversy mm-hmm. with casting Scar Joe mm-hmm. as the major. Right. Um, so for me, I I have a really deep connection with uh, the Japanese culture. I, I actually had a great cha- opportunity to study abroad there for six months. Wow. Um, and, you know, really get in, in touch with the language and the, the people there. It was a big trip for me because it was the first time. I think I'd ever traveled to an Asian country at that point. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, the first experience living that far away from home right. on my own. Right. Um, well, sort of on my own, but like at a host family. So right. Not, yeah, not with your family. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it was a tremendous, amazing opportunity and really eye opening. But and when when we when that movie was released, I remember there were so many um, articles talking about how they would speak with. And I even actually reached out to some of my own friends who are of Asian American backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And they said how, you know, it really, you know, right, rightfully so, it, it, it rubbed them the wrong way because, you know, this is, in their minds, it's cultural appropriation, it's whitewashing, mm-hmm. it's 
very similar to what we were talking about with The Lion King. It's basically taking someone's cultural heritage and then remastering it to fit another background. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but then when I spoke, it was interesting. I would ask what, the same question, like, how, how, how did you feel about it? I'd ask that question to my friends who were based in Japan, who right. were based in Tokyo, and, you know, who had lived there, who had grown up loving the anime series and loving the actual 1995 anime film. Mm-hmm. And they all said they didn't have any problem with it. And like, I remember one friend of mine even said she looks like the character. Right. And that was, I thought that was really interesting. So I did like a lot of research and it turns out that when World War II ended, when Mm -hmm. Japan was still reeling from that whole traumatic era, the, the, the only exporting nation the nation that they were connected with at that time after world war ii was the u.s Mm -hmm. so they were when they were trying to rebuild their economy build it back up a lot of their goods that they were marketing and trying to sell export to the u.s were geared toward the predominant market at the time which was white white families it was white children white white women white men and for the children they found that when they tried to sell toys that were looked japanese they didn't sell. Mm. So they instead, like in developing the uh, animated series, starting to delve into anime as a cart, as an art form, as a, as a, um, basically as, as a uh, beginning of trying to do it as an animated series and Mm -hmm. making it into television and film, they changed the, the way the character, they drew the eyes and they drew it similar in the very exact same style as Disney would draw the eyes for his cartoons. Um, and make the characters look what the what the Japanese call gaijin, which means foreign. Mm-hmm. And after doing that, they it sold for U.S. and it became much more popular. That's why like Astro Boy became mm-hmm. such a huge phenom in the U.S. Right. So it's really interesting because you know while, while, it, it, when you take that time and you like actually unravel a story of that much complexity and depth, you realize you know it's at the at the crux of it when you know everyone is busy talking about oh this is a black and white issue the real heart of it is oh this is this is not just a black and white issue but it's more about how identity can unravel or mm-hmm. how how hard it is to build your identity back up when there's you have very little remaining after such a you know difficult time frame as that right. so you know i, I it, again like it just goes back to the fact that you know a lot of times i at least i've i've found personally like when you get a chance to have something as controversial that's that like that it's interesting to like pause for a minute before getting swept up in the you know in the in the mania and mm-hmm. the hype of such a of such a controversy to actually unravel it and realize oh there's a whole other dimension to this story that you didn't notice yeah and you know i just find that very fascinating to take the time to do that yeah that is very fascinating <clears throat> i mean we kind of live now in this uh you know that fake news world that we live in you can't trust a source sometimes which is crazy to me um especially when it's a an established one or what we thought was an established source and stuff like that i i recently deactivated my facebook and it's only been a few days maybe coming up on a week or so but already i feel like a a great difference i mean i i'm so i'm pretty much down to just instagram not pretty much i am (laughs) just down to instagram and because the picture's worth a thousand words. Yeah, I mean, I just like Instagram. It's ex- it it knows exactly what it is. It's not anything else. It's not trying to be anything else except maybe Snapchat um, with the story thing. But 
you know, it's not trying to be this um, place where you post articles or you post, you know, uh, your opinions on stuff, unless you have a picture to go with it, I guess. But it's really just about here's a picture. Here's what I'm doing. Um, and versus Facebook, where people are just sitting there making um assumptions and comments and sharing things that maybe they only read the title of or something like that. So already I feel like, I'm like, huh, okay. I'm already kind of out. I'm nice. I stayed out of it anyway, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, I wasn't big, like even with this, what we're doing here, you know, I'm, I'm happy to have a discussion when it comes to politics or things like that. Um, but I'm not going to sit here and like seek out that conversation. If it comes up naturally, I'm not going to be like, so who are you going to vote for? And then, you know, I'm <laughs> yeah. not going to do anything like that, but, um, and wh- you know, why are you this way? N- nothing like that. But it's, I think it's, um, nice to kind of step away from that. Yeah. I, I, I will say I'm still, I am still connected <laughs> social media. Unfortunately, as part of the business for acting, it's like, you know, it's a networking tool. It's something that you Definitely. do have to use. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say this for my Facebook. I tend to try to use it as positively as I can with mm-hmm. like funny, you know, asides or funny quips or just, you know, stories that happened that day. Because I feel like, you know, we all could use a reason to laugh. Mm-hmm. We all could use a, you know, a reason to like just for one second, just laugh and smile, even in, you know, the midst of. And he will like how bad, no matter how great, bad your day is going, mm-hmm. you have a chance to like laugh and like be like, oh, I totally relate to that experience as soon as they post it. Yeah. So you, so, you would say you wouldn't want to take life too seriously? Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Look at that name drop. Yes. <laughs> the name of the podcast. Um, <laughs> like and subscribe now. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah. No, it's definitely important. I, and that was kind of where I was going with the title, but I also just wanted it to be very like open and free. I don't want to be like, so how do you not take life too seriously? Again, it, I just didn't want to be boxed in yeah. to an idea. That was kind of the idea. But yeah, totally. I needed some kind of the, name. I like, I like to relax. I like to yeah. just sit in a hammock, right. have someone bring me iced tea. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, so I'm like, you know, obviously, and we're all different too. So it's just fun to get different people's life stories. And I just, that I felt like was a good enough, like a strong title that was could still be pretty broad too. Yeah. So, um, yeah. yeah, no. So let's get back. Um, I want to know more about this, uh, your career path so far. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> what, what year did you graduate college? So I graduated in 2015. 2015. Um, and then I took a gap year for about, n- n- not a gap year, gap years. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> I took a break, uh, like I'd say two years. Um, and then in 2017, I started at Emory Law School down mm-hmm. in Georgia. And uh, the trajectory for going for that was um, <clears throat> very interesting. I, I always knew that I was going to go into law school mm-hmm. you know, during undergrad. I knew it was something that was in the foreseeable future. And uh, the way that I saw it as is like, I, for me, first and foremost, acting is my passion. It's mm-hmm. the thing that, you know, it, it, if it were... Like, I, I, I forget what the quote was, but I think like somebody once said, like, if you can come up with any if you if there is anything else, anything at all in life that, you know, fills you with joy, that fills you with fascination other than acting, go do it. I think that was Jim Carrey. Yeah. Like if there was anything else, mm-hmm. go after it, um, because it's a it's just a tough business that mm-hmm. is filled with so many ups and downs and waves. Um and for me, like, I just, I couldn't find anything else because I, I would, you know, I can't consistently come back to it. I consistently come back to the whole prospect of, 
creating not a whole living being using yourself, mm-hmm. using your own experiences. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and just, I think also the other side of it is like trying to find the, the thing I call it like the, 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 uh, the elemental string that mm-hmm. connects you to that person. Um, and I think actually Meryl Streep had a similar quote. She was like acting as, or like the acting is the ability to find yourself in another person and, or, and connect to that and make it come to life. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm paraphrasing. I don't think that was the exact quote, right? but, um, yeah, so I, I always knew that was a dream for me and it's not, it wasn't, I, I never was, it, a lot of people get into this with like, oh, I want to become a celebrity. I'm mm-hmm. going to become the next, you know social media influencer which right, I was right. like I never get that like influencing what like yeah, I'm not I, basing I don't my understand that I'm not basing my decisions off of like like uh, what was the what was the guy who got into trouble um Paul some it's like it's two brothers Paul and Jake oh like YouTubers or something YouTuber right? yeah that they began yeah, became social media influencers but I'm like I'm not basing my life decisions off mm-hmm, of you mm-hmm. what the hell is that yeah um so, but yeah, no, I, I didn't want to get into it and for celebrity reasons, I was more fascinated in just like the whole creative processes of, of it all. The mm-hmm. fact that you have all these people and not even from the acting standpoint, from like directing audio, like a DP camera, um, set design, all these people come from all different walks of life from like everywhere on the globe, whether it's London, California, they all meet in mm-hmm. a location and they come together to make this thing. Yeah. And I thought that was just like so freaking cool. Um, so, yeah, it's, for me, like the, I like I said, acting is definitely the dream. And a lot of times, what you'll hear from people who pursue this is like, you got to go in, all in. Mm-hmm. You got to do this one hundred percent. You got to invest your heart, mind, body, and soul. And I totally agree with that. But the way that I viewed it is like, if I'm going to do something as like. To wind, twisty and windy as his career path mm. I want to have all the tools necessary to help guard me to help make sure that my choices are sound resolute and definitive and, mm-hmm. and enter law right. enter it, the, from for me what I'm interested in uh, while being I'm going into my final year of law school mm-hmm. thank god <laughs> all I have to do deal with now is debt yeah. um, <laughs> but uh, no actually I, I shouldn't complain I, I lucked out more so than others I, I actually managed to get a full ride for undergrad so very all cool. I have is like law school debt so very much it's always like the grass is always greener on the other side yes. like I'm very fortunate with how things turned out for me mm-hmm. um, but the way that I viewed law is like it's something that was in, in, interested me mentally and you know intellectually on a, on a level mm-hmm. And specifically going for like intellectual property and entertainment law, which they're, they're both inter, intersect a lot. But it's basically like dealing with trademarks, copyright, mm-hmm. transaction, mm-hmm. like different transactions between businesses and corporations. Right. Um, so for me, that that seemed like a perfect tool that blended in with acting in that I'd be able to have two steady career paths going in the same trajectory. Uh, I would have one career that would reinforce me making sound decisions going forward because mm-hmm. in this business I have had I've heard so many horror stories from people who were not protected legally when signing on to projects and they would sign on to stuff and not realize what was entailed or mm-hmm. the fact that there were pitfalls to the project that they couldn't see. Right. Um, and no, and also this was before me too erupted, but I even heard stories about, um, a lot of time, a lot of times with regards to 
you know, w- women in the business who they would sign on to a project and then not realize that in the fine print, they had to do a full nude scene. Mm-hmm. And they signed on specific after having specifically asked, we're not going to have to derobe fully for this project. Right. And the right. directors would say, oh, no, 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 of course not. Of course not. And then they would get on set for a day and then it would be like, oh, by the way, we're going to shoot this scene and you have to derobe completely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they would be like, no, but you told me I didn't have to. And they're like, it's in the contract. Mm. So that, you know, and it was, like I said, it's it's a business that with tremendous rewards and also tremendous pitfalls. Yeah. And for me, that like hearing that story consistently, it, it drove me not only to want to reinforce myself, but like also try to provide a means to help others. Because mm. that's the thing that a lot of actors struggle with is access to like legal aid for these projects. Because right. You know, at the end of the day, all they want to do is work. They all they want to do is, you know, make art. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, a lot of times they they don't many many times they don't even consider the business side of it mm-hmm. and the many, you know, the many cliffs and cliffhangers that are involved in that in that side of the business. Right. And you know, I think by providing access or helping to provide access to those actors, mm-hmm. they can definitely make more sound decisions going forward, which in the end, that helps them a lot. Yeah. Um, and it was also very like there were like before I remember distinctly even to um, while working in the Mid-Atlantic, um, I interacted with a lot of people who were on set of House of Cards, mm-hmm. um, specifically young men who were working on the set and they this was before all the news broke about what um Kevin Spacey had done in his past right and there were stories that I was hearing about about like yeah we like there was a buddy system for male actors who were fit his type mm-hmm. uh, as much as I could you know it, it yeah yeah <laughs> I hate saying that but yeah. it, like young so from like 18 to like mid 20s, I'd say, and they mm-hmm. would buddy up with each other. Mm-hmm. They would say, if you go to the bathroom, you're going with a friend. Right. And if you are on set with Kevin Spacey, you have a designated friend that you are with. Mm-hmm. Like basically it was actors helping each other out. And not only that, it was male actors who for the first time they were experiencing things that women feel every day. Right. And that was when I would hear the stories about that, I was like this. This has got to like at some point. This has got to break. Like mm-hmm. the the fact of the fact of this stuff going on has got to break. And then, Me Too erupted, and with that, you after uh, Weinstein, Harvey Weinstein, you mm-hmm. had Kevin Spacey's, you know, horrendous acts that he had done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that like, it, you know, it all just boils down after like learning that and experiencing that. I felt that law was you know having a, that law background. It provides a great tool for me going forward. And also it's a great means of, like I'd say, like one one dream that I would love to do is start providing like a nonprofit organization that would be like offering free consultations for actors to make sure, hey, you know, is this project sound? Is this project legally all right? And right. if they don't have the means to get legal help. Mm-hmm. So that would be one of that would be a great like nonprofit or MP idea that I would love to do at some point. So Yeah, that'd be really cool actually. Um I took my senior year of college, I took a entertainment law class with, and it was taught by someone who actually does entertainment law and um, works down in DC. He was doing a lot with the uh, immigration stuff. That was when like all that, this was early 2017. Um, and uh, it was extremely fascinating to 
learn about that kind of stuff and realize that it kind of makes people seem a little worse. You know what I mean? As a human population to make, you yeah. know, you realize <laughs> like how skeevy people can really be. Oh, you know? for sure. For sure. And it, so it was, it was nice. And now it's kind of made me and Greg took it too. Mm-hmm. It's made us um, a little more, for lack of a better word, paranoid as far as, okay, what, you know, what are we going to do? What are we going to get covered? All this kind of stuff. Like now all these projects that I've done since, uh, I make sure that we own every single thing that we do. We're not showing like crazy logos or anything like that. You know, it's everything is mine. You know, I, I get everybody to sign something. Um, you know, that actor uh, appearance release for I me, mean, that's pretty standard, I would say. But, uh, you know, ha- make sure you have that. Make sure all this kind of stuff so that down the road, people can't take things from me. It's why I started my LLC. And I was explaining to you the other day that it was purely just for protection purposes. I don't plan to use it much as like a um, company name. I mean, I will, but it's not like I'm more going with Toby Moon. Yeah. Um, which will be under that. And just, just that having that protection um, so that they're not coming after me or my my things or, you know, all that kind of stuff is... For yeah. sure. And now, and now magnify that stress like by 10,000 maybe, and mm-hmm. you have it for the lawyer on the other side right, right. who's like handling like, you know, it, one false move and they screw up a person's life or a corporation's mm-hmm. life because mm-hmm. we're calling corporations people now apparently. But <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, it's even... There's a reason why um, mental illness is such a like very rampant issue among legal professionals Mm -hmm. because the the stress is just so, so high. And I, in my experience, like having interacted with, you know, in law school, you know, it's, that's the other thing. Like I'm going off on a tangent here, but that's the, that's the other thing that I found was fascinating with like the, in general terms, if you were to ask someone like, okay, which do you think is a more sound profession, law or acting? You'd naturally say law. Right. But in my experience, it is amazing how the overlap between the two is so, so similar. Mm-hmm. So for because for the listeners who don't know, for acting, generally what you do is you submit, you mm-hmm. go on to these various websites or your agent does it for you to submit for roles that you might fit, uh, which are breakdowns. Mm-hmm. You then might get an invitation to audition, which is basically you go in and you perform a scene from the upcoming project um, in a way that you feel, again, bearing in mind these people that are on the opposite end of the table have no clue what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, You go in with your interpretation of the character um, to see if they like it. Right. Then sometimes they will book you straight from that or if it's a more in-depth role like uh, something that's more weighty like a series regular or a uh, a lead series regular is somebody that one of the main characters you see a lot on tv mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> god that was fast anyway um they then bring you in for a callback mm-hmm. which is essentially the second in the second round the second interview and that is where for the actor you basically Again, it's your turn to have no frigging clue what to do because callbacks are such a, you know, ambiguous thing. But essentially, you're just, you know, you're going in there, you're bringing everything you brought to the audition, uh, plus being flexible to go along with the direction that the director would want, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then you can book. Now, on the legal side of things, in law school, what you do is you apply to these things 
typically called OCI, which is on-campus interview. Mm-hmm. It's your chance to basically interview with a massive firm or maybe even more in the public sphere, like working in the district attorney's office, for example, or working in like the state and, uh, you know, doing criminal public defense, anything like that, where uh, basically you get a chance to submit your stuff mm-hmm. to be interviewed by uh, an employer. If they accept it, if they accept your bid, you go in for an interview. Right. Then after doing that interview, more often than not, you're brought back in for a second interview. Mm-hmm. And then again, where they ask you more questions, because again, even for the lawyer, they don't know what they're looking for, or maybe they do know what they're looking for. And they're looking for somebody who can fit that specific mold. And then you book it. Right. So it, it it's amazing to me how like all throughout my experience in law school, I'm doing this and I'm like, it's so law is just as precarious as acting. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, yet for some reason in our society, we find it to be more of a stable profession. You view it more as something that's, you know, it, it's going to yield instant income, which is not the case. I mean, there are so many law students even who graduate without a job right. and struggle to find employment afterwards. So uh, that that was like, um, I'm trying to figure out where we were, where that string went off. Um, I think just talking about just, how similar they were. Yeah. And- so it, it 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 like it's it was amazing to me how very much like they both inform one another and like that's you know that again that whole element adds on to that stress which mm-hmm. builds into even if you do get the job working at say a very big law firm right you are more you can be more susceptible to a lot of like you know more more increased stress anxiety you're working very long hours mm-hmm. um and, you know, when I would interact with some of these people, you know, you just saw it between like their eyes, even though they had it was almost like they were living in a gilded cage for 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 those who were had worked in a law, big law firm for a while. They had amassed all this incredible experience, all this like massive income, but they didn't even have the time to enjoy it. Yeah. You know, and whereas with acting. Granted, there is the precarious situation with actors not having money, mm-hmm. <laughs> knowing that all too well what that's like. Right. But the thing that is the in- inverse superpower that they have over someone, say, in that standing in law firm is that they actually have the time to enjoy moments right. that many of us take for granted. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that that was like one of the things that was interesting. I, I frequently would whenever like someone would ask or, you know, I would bring it up in conversation with my friends and in law school about me doing acting at the same time while trying to, pres- while, you know, to staying on top of coursework and everything. And they'd be like, many of them would be very fascinated. Like, that's so cool. Like, how are you able to balance the two? And, you know, yeah. how are you able to sleep at all? And I'm like, you know, if you, if you love something that much, you find a way to make it work. Mm-hmm. It's just plain and simple. Yeah. So kind of stepping back. So when you like the 2016, early 2017, when you kind of took the year years off or whatever, um, was it was it challenging so for the project that we met on actually so far every project we've worked on which it's not something i want to say i'm proud of because i'd love to be able to pay actors and do all this kind of stuff but part of it is you know it's kind of like the scratch your back i scratch your eyes you know yeah exactly. that expression of i'm helping you you're helping me yeah for sure. um so what was what do you think that's like as far as an actor to go you know, you're going into this project, you're giving it your all, you're memorizing these lines, but you know that unless it really kicked off in like a film festival or something, there's other than, you know, you get it for your reel. There's not a lot of uh, 
you know, stuff coming to you, money or anything like that. So yeah. is that is that hard sometimes? So for me, um, I will admit that during, during those couple of years, I <laughs> moved back in with the folks. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I did uh, manage to get jobs that would help subsidize me, uh, you know, like for uh, for the necessary tools, because it is very expensive for acting what you have to do to get um, the proper toolkit assembled because mm -hmm. you have to get training, you have to pay for classes to train, you have to pay for new headshots, which are basically fancy photos of like, please hire me, here's mm -hmm. marketing material. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you have to pay for other necessities like classes and, uh, you know, things like that. So I, for me, I, I started work um, as a, I did work as a, as a martial arts instructor and mm -hmm. also a personal trainer which gelled really well for me because I was always very much a, I, and still am, a very um, avid physical fitness nut. And uh, I started martial arts back in, oh God, I had to have been six years old. I started out as a karate kid. Yeah, <laughs> when that's, you, that's about started when I started, yeah. And uh, I kept staying with it all the way through until I got my first degree black belt and I'd compete uh, at various uh, tournaments. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that I loved about it so much was like it, it just fascinated me to no end the ama amazing ways you kind of like it almost was like a dance that you would turn these all, like uh, it was all self-defense, but you mm -hmm. would turn it into a very fluid motion. And, yeah. you know, it got you very into in tune with. It, it, you know, for a, both, that's the thing with like act, both acting and law as well is like, even with acting too, you have a tendency to get in your head a lot, which right. is very much a difficult thing, especially when you're trying to get into a very difficult role. Mm -hmm. So one key thing is to be, stay very in tune with your body right. and doing martial arts over years definitely helped with that. Um, also gave me a very strong, profound respect for flexibility mm -hmm. <laughs> and stretching. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I cannot, I cannot begin to tell you the number of times that I would be working out at these gyms, and you see these bros come in with their torn ta neon tank tops, mm -hmm. and like get, go right to the massive weights, and I just watch them, and I'm like, oh god, your poor joints. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or like I, I, we'd see these people come in, and then it's really bad to say, but like me and my other personal trainer friends, we'd like place bets on like how soon are these people going to harm, harm themselves while in the gym. Yeah. <laughs> and nine times out of ten, we were pretty accurate with the dates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, martial arts, I, I've absolutely loved and stayed with it pretty much the same way all the way through um, acting. Mm -hmm. And I credit that with actually with Jackie Chan. Like okay. I saw, I saw, um, I was way too young to watch it, but I saw Rush Hour and mm -hmm. I laughed so hard watching Jackie Chan basically take choreography and make it into a comedy all of itself, like right. with just the moves without right. hardly even saying anything, mm -hmm. just like his facial expressions and the way he would, you know, twist the the enemies that he was facing against. I absolutely loved it. And I, I immediately enrolled into martial arts thinking that that's who I'm going to become. <laughs> and uh, I still practice it to this day and absolutely love it. Um, actually, as a matter of fact, um, it, how f are you familiar with um, Avatar? Mm -hmm. The last, air, the last yeah, airbender, yeah, yeah. We don't talk about the movie. Nobody yeah. talks about the movie. Yeah. But the series, the animated series, I absolutely loved, and it was. It's one of, always will be one of my favorite Nickelodeon shows, mm -hmm. um, because the creators of it paid such great attention to to Asian cultures and Asian like influences mm -hmm. that they, the you know, they were one hundred percent spot on in their representation of it. Um, an example of that was the martial arts styles that they used. And how they attached it to the various different bending. Right. So for people who don't know, uh, the main premise of the story is that there are these four elements, earth, water, air, and fire. 
And these people who can bend the elements, they are able to do so, but using various martial arts attached to the elemental bending. So like water bending, the style that they showed with the characters using was Tai Chi. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for air bending, it was a, it's a very specific martial arts style based in China that was um, more about, it was very related to like breathing styles. And mm-hmm. um, for fire bending, that actually ended up being my martial arts, which was uh, Tian Shen Pai. That mm-hmm. was the, they're, they're the exact same style used, right. um, which is like Northern, Northern Chinese style. Okay. And um, that, the, you know, being able to do that and love that as a passion helped going forward as like a means of subsidizing myself while during those two years right. when, I, when I had that uh, breaking period. So that was a means of income while pursuing acting and going forward. But going back, going specifically honing in on your question of like how you view like it, the fact if you do a project and you don't get money. As an actor, you kind of have to be flexible in how you view the rewards that you get from the jobs you get, um, because a lot of times it's non-paying, and mm-hmm. it's also and it's the same way for the filmmakers on the other side because right. they're doing projects that they're not getting paid for either. So you have to try to be flexible in finding the rewards that you get from it, which is like okay, I, I'm getting excellent footage to add to uh, my portfolio mm-hmm. that showcases my skills. Or I'm a, be able to work with this guy who, you know, had a film that went to South by Southwest or to Tribeca mm-hmm. um, and who definitely has experiences. This is a great way to network by being on this project. Right. Or um, I'm getting credited on IMDb, the holy place where you can say get validated for right, right. your credits. And uh, so, yeah, you have to be you have to just train yourself to be um, to find the positive rewards from projects even if they may not be as stellar as say like booking a like a co-star role on um on uh like say like the new coming version of uh the haunting of hill house Mm -hmm. or some other major motion picture that's coming out um those will if you continue down this path they're imminent they will you know, you'll find your way to those moments. But for now, you just have to find the rewards and the building blocks as you're, you know, creating your career going forward. Has there been, and you don't have to say which ones, but has there been ones that you like really thought you were going to get and then they went somewhere else with? Yeah, um, I actually had a couple of, um, (laughs) actually, I can, I I think I can use this now since this got released. So Stranger Things season three just came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had the wonderful opportunity to audition for the role of the gas station attendant in the episode where he um, interacted with, uh, well, uh, spoiler, we're not doing spoilers. Um, So basically, there's a gas station attendant in one of the episodes, won't go say who he interacts with who. Um, but basically I watching that episode, I was looking at it and I was like, cause initially, you know, I got bummed out because I was like, Oh, this is stranger things. This would be amazing to be a part of that. Right. And I didn't get it. And you know, you learn to that. That's the other amazing thing about acting that I will say is like, you learn to be extremely resilient in failure. As a matter of fact, you learn to welcome failure and find the, you know, strong elements to it. Like if you fail at something, you're like, Okay, I can break this down and say what did I not what did I not do and like build yourself back up or you can even go further and say huh so if I didn't get this role that means that they that means that not you know 
it, it, it very well may not be an is- issue on my part. It just may be something that I didn't fit the bill that they were looking for mm-hmm. on their end. Mm-hmm. So you learn to say, look, I, you you learn to, in failure, you kind of learn to build up your confidence, which sounds very like polar opposite, but you find a means of like saying to yourself, you know, I gave it my all. Right. I, I did the preparation. I did the work. I did everything. And I left it all on the table. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's no, that was my favorite, my grandfather's favorite saying. He would, you know, he used to tell me growing up, he would say like, you can say to yourself that you left everything on the table and you did not hold anything back. There is no way you should have your head bowed down at the end of the day right. feeling sorry for yourself because you gave it everything you could. You gave it your best effort and that's all that, that's all that you can do. Right. And, um, that, you know, that's the way that I looked at it with Stranger Things. I was like, well, I gave it my best. I did the preparation and it was a quick turn. It was a quick turnaround. It was an audition. I got that. I got that a Thursday. <laughs> I remember it very vividly. I got the breakdown Thursday while I was in class. The audition was called for on Friday and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> so I like immediately called up friends. and was like, please help me tape this. I need to get this in now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Uh, so I watched the I watched the episode and I was like, Oh, I totally see what they were going for. They ended up going with somebody who was older, but who also had, you know, he had just kind of like a very relaxed, laid back, you know, feeling to him. And I am not I, 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 I do have a I do tend to relax and have a go with the float attitude, but not that very you know not not to that extent Mm -hmm. and i can i was like looking at i was like yeah i can totally see how i wouldn't have fit the bill and just you know wouldn't have panned out so you know you see you see that a lot of times too um and you you know nine times out of ten you're like yeah they went with the right person so Mm -hmm. i guess that's good because then and you realize that um it wasn't and you kind of said it that you're not bad you just weren't what they needed Mm -hmm. right is that is that fair to say that yeah, way. I and just it wasn't um I think the best the best way to say it is like it wasn't it's the, I, I hate the I hate the phrase like it wasn't a right fit. Right. Like it that's so cliche. It's not mm-hmm. the, it, the you're not looking you're not trying to fit someone into a puzzle piece or anything like right. that. It's not it's they didn't have I always look at I I kind of look at it in like in terms of energies. They didn't have that kind of energy that blended with the moment that they were looking for or mm-hmm. that they were seeking to create. Right. And that's, you know, that, that it, when you make that decision, you know, it's, that's all there is to it. It's, it was no, no fault on part of, on the actors that came forward for the role. Right. It's just, you know, they didn't have something that that person did have. And then at one point coming down the line, you know, you'll definitely have the energy meant or the energy, build up for whatever role that they're looking for, right. you know, uh, down the line, or they you may even, you do something spectacular and they're like, Oh, I love this guy. I'm going to save him. He may not fit this role, but I'm going to save him if, and return to him. If something comes back up later mm-hmm. on, that might work for him. Um, is the best way that I look at it. And the, um, I think that one other thing, one other thing that I always say to actors that I run into is that if they ever get a chance, definitely, definitely, definitely 
work in a casting setting mm-hmm. um, because it opens your eyes so much and it takes off so much stress. You mean being like a casting director or something? Or just assisting them in the room. Mm-hmm. I, I had the opportunity to do so uh, here, actually. I had the opportunity to do so with Kimberly Skyrim casting. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was for a... Uh, it was for a... Um, a series, a web series, I think that it was indie, mm-hmm. but it was the writing to it was so good. It was comedy, and it had in it, um, oh god, and I'm gonna blank on his name, but he was in so many old, uh, like old um, 70s and 80s series. Um, he he was in uh, 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 like a bunch of like comedies, and he you know he was gonna be in it. It basically was like this. The premise of the story was like an 80s, like a very old timey gym and like these people trying to band together to make sure it doesn't fall under. Right. And I got to work as a casting assistant for Kimberly during that as a reader, like reading opposite all these actors that were coming in to audition. Right. And it was great to watch because I was like, you saw all these people coming in. Some of them, some of them were prepared, Mm -hmm. which like automatically not, not worthy or, or not like. You know, they weren't ready for this role. Mm-hmm. Some people would come in and just absolutely blow your mind and be like super hilarious. And but, you know, again, you would like save them for later. Mm-hmm. And then there were the ones who did something extra, which was they would have us laughing, but in ways that we were not anticipating whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Like there was this there. I remember distinctly there was this one woman who came in. She had been like 70, 80 years old. Uh, and it fit the breakdown for the role. It was like this old woman. She was all she was supposed to be was like this attendant. Mm-hmm. But she she took the script and basically turned it into her coming on to the young trainer. Okay. And it didn't call for it at all in the scene, but the way she was interacting and flirting mm-hmm. had us all roaring and laughing. And we were trying so hard to make sure we didn't like ruin her audition because she's trying to do this thing. Right, right. But you could hear us all like cackling in the background. And those were the people who nailed it. Those were the people, like, that. that's what goes above and beyond, I think, for casting as well, is, like, it takes not only preparation, it takes not only memorization, it takes not only researching the role, but it also takes you finding the one thing. It doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be outlandish. It doesn't have to be something totally crazy, but the one thing that you can do differently mm-hmm. that nobody else is going to notice. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that well, you, you got it. You're good. <laughs> I wonder, though, and how much it plays into, like, something as simple as, like, a voice or, you know, an accent or something like that. I mean, everybody can come in and try different accents, but there's something about, um, you know, my there's this running kind of joke that my parents and I have that they think I sound like I put on this voice when I do this. Mm-hmm. But it's really not. Or if I, if I am putting on a voice, it's not like I'm doing it consciously. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, more so it comes out when I do the intros. So I wonder if, and maybe you had this when you were in that situation where you're hearing something and you're like, that's exactly the voice I would have used, even though maybe the person doesn't fit or or maybe they do, but you're just kind of like, they got it just from the voice alone. Oh yeah, for sure. Not, I've like so many times I would hear, you'd hear some, it was kind of like either it, it it would even be finer than the voice. It would also be like how they pronounced words. Mm-hmm. Their like pronunciation they, or something. Yeah. Like we were, I remember I was helping another friend. This was not for something so 
high end. It was more like a low key, like non union film. Mm-hmm. And we were helping with casting. And uh, this, this was still when I was in the DC, Mid Atlantic, that region. Right. And we were casting for this this film. And the role required for like, I, I, we were trying to look for like the kind of like a salt of the earth guy. 30s 40s somebody who was a real outdoorsman mm-hmm. we're talking like sam elliott here like okay. some maybe like younger sam elliott but still that timbered of a voice right and this this really it was this really scrawny guy came in not like it did not look like he was salt of the earth at all had glasses that he had to take off um you know his, like his shirt was like a couple sizes too big like mm-hmm. it was not form-fitting at all um tall though he was like he had to have been like six foot and then he you know he was talking very lightly very normal and then when he skate, went into the role this whole other voice came out like it was it was a deep baritone voice but not only that it had like that lilt that that people from northern virginia nova so like mm-hmm. alexandria that they have where right. it's like a kind of like a breathiness to how they pronounce words and we were like that's the guy. <laughs> so yeah, definitely the voice can, you know, the voice alone can, you know, captivate you and it's what draws you in. Um, you know, even, even though film is visual, the, the, the quality of someone's voice is what makes them kind of irreplaceable. Um, and it makes so many singers, you know, like uh, even singers as well, like timeless, like, yeah. you know, Aretha Franklin, for instance, nobody, on earth can mimic which her the way that she would play notes the right. way that she would twist them around with her voice nobody can mimic that because it was so distinct uh same with and i said said him again phil collins mm-hmm. like he's got a very distinctive temper to his voice and he can it's very high end on the scale mm-hmm. but it's it, it has a resonance to it that immediately hooks you in so the people that have like the very distinctive voices like that, it's a, it's a very strong quality to have. Yeah, I, I just have this like weird um, kind of not weird, I guess, but just this fascination with voices in general. And I've if I, I always say to myself, if I ever did any kind of acting, because I've done it here and there, just for more out of necessity necessity than anything else. But the ones that I've found to get the most joy out of is anything that's leading with a voice i.e. my what was supposed to be my senior project that I ended up pulling out was um, this little little funny film I did called Good Luck Duck. And I wrote it on purpose so that I could voice something, right? Just be my voice. And I had so much more fun doing that than trying to be on a set or something like that because and I did a little behind the scenes video on my it's on my YouTube channel, but um, where I'm just in this booth, I'm wearing sweatpants, you know, I'm like, whatever. And I'm like doing the whole voice, whatever. And uh, yeah. As, as you bring in the bosses. As, yeah, it's like, com- it's coming out now. But, uh, and I was like, it's so fun to like work through that and figure it out and yeah. try things and stuff like that. So I just had these fascination with accents and voices. And um, have you done any kind of voice acting? I, I would love the chance to do so. I, in fact, I was talking with uh, one of my act, my current acting coach, uh, Josh Dougherty, uh, who's, He's just fantastic. He actually just finished uh, working on uh, Mr. Mercedes, which is mm-hmm. going to be appearing on Audience Network. Uh, please watch it. Yeah. <laughs> He's a series regular. Yeah. Um, hey, hey, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he w- he actually did voiceover for the longest time. Um, he 
he has gone on to say that he would he prefers doing on camera stuff, mm-hmm. um, which makes total sense because there's actually um, he was telling us uh, the this thing about uh, this group called Lo- uh, Loopers, mm-hmm. uh, which in L.A. there are a group of actors basically who uh, enlist and try to get accepted into uh, these guilds, uh, for lack of a better term, where they go into booths and they essentially voice the background for scenes okay. so say for instance you're watching a scene where um you can say like uh uh let's do uh what's a good example like a coffee shop yeah something. like a coffee shop and they're the two main characters are meeting but you hear all this ambient noise of people talking in the background mm-hmm. those are not the actual people there in the scene because right. they're all they're actually mimicking but they're not speaking they're mm-hmm. pretending that they're talking right the actual sound is filled in through audio booths from actors that join these looping groups and f- basically they get paid a lot of money like i think it's you know 950 a session maybe wow. somewhere around there and they get it's a lot but the problem is because of that they don't get and because they're called in so frequently they don't get a chance to do more like on camera work right so you know that the money comes at a cost essentially mm-hmm. um and Josh was telling us a bit, little bit about that. And, you know, there's so many, it's voice acting in and of itself is, you know, it's so much fun. It's a whole different type of acting because in a, in a sense, you, you don't have, you're not, you know, you're not on camera. People don't recognize you, mm-hmm. but you have so much more freedom to just, you know, relax and really settle in and enjoy and just, you know, have, have fun with it. Um, for me, I, I'd actually like to go a step further at some point. If you know, if ever my dream, one of my dreams is, I would love to be a voice actor that gets signed on to do one of these characters in video games, mm-hmm. uh, along the veins of like Uncharted and The Last of Us. Which, um, if anyone is not familiar with those, please, 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 either play them or watch somebody play them because they are works of art. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially, what they involve is that they the, these games they hire they hire the actors, but they're all you know, more often, you know, video games use the voice at oh, standard voiceover acting, which is like, you know, you're in the booth, you have right. the you have the script, you, you know, act out the scenes, you don't see anything happen or you may see things happening, but you're very separate mm-hmm. for the, the reason why these games, The Last of Us and Uncharted were so different was that they brought the actors in and they the stories were based around these actors that they signed. So that they not only had the voiceover for the, but they also had them come in wearing the tech suit, the high the tech suits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they would be working on sound stages and basically interact, interacting all the actions and doing all these very, very cool uh, works. And um, for The Last of Us in particular, uh, and I'm killing myself. I wish I had brought my phone because I could get all the names. Um, but the the uh the guy who the the guy who voiced the main uh the main character joel troy baker mm-hmm. uh he there there's a video of him on youtube where there's a scene where he's trying to rescue ellie who's this girl with him and this woman who's in charge of a revolutionary group is trying to follow them and basically you know ellie essentially has like a gene that could save humanity but if they research if they extracted from her she could die okay and this leader of this rebellion group tries to follow them and you know at gunpoint Mm -hmm. and the actress for that i wish i remember her name but she is in greenleaf which is the oprah uh network film Mm -hmm. that's currently airing she's the main uh the main actress in that and 
she also has Broadway experience, meaning she can re- and she can really hold a tune. That's for sure. But they were struggling with the scene and trying to get the right feel to it. And there, so the director pulls her aside and says, "I want you to do something." And he, he you know, gives him the direction. They have the recording. They watch. It, Troy comes on. He he's carrying what looks like Ellie, which mm-hmm. is basically just like a green like styrofoam thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the woman freezes him, and then she sings the lines. She doesn't say them. She sings them. And he, you can see his eyes, like, did that change? Like, what the hell is going on? What are we doing? And then he settles back in, and then he sings in response to her. And they, even the director said, they ended up not using it, but that interaction, they said, was like, they, they didn't use the the voice, but they used that facial expression Mm-hmm. for the actual video game right. because nothing else compared to that moment of like that split second moment of being so blown away by like what is happening in front of me right now and then trying to adjust mm-hmm. to the change in circumstance um so that, that that to me i find that absolutely fascinating and plus uh troy baker also voiced uh joker in mm-hmm. arkham in arkham uh, arkham city i think it was arkham city arkham origins arkham origins on mm-hmm. ps4 and there is a video clip, if you look him up on YouTube again, where he does a monologue from The Killing Joke yep, live. I've seen that, yeah, yeah. And it is spellbinding. I mean, you watch, he, he's just there in front of the audience, and he's, like, joking with everybody, and he pulls out his phone, and he has the lines there. And then he starts off, like, diving right into it, like, you know, the whole, I, I think the first line was like, memories can be vile. And he like holds out that last word and the whole audience like hushes. And then he just goes for it. And then at the end, he lets out the, the Joker style laugh mm-hmm. that you literally think Mark Hamill is like channeling his body because that's right. that was the original voice of Joker. Right. And it was just amazing to watch that. So, yeah, I would love to do voiceover if I get the chance. I would love to do it. But but for me, I'd love to if it could go further into uh, the video game setting because I think mm-hmm. that's just that's so cool. It looks you look it looks totally weird being in such a skin tight like nylon yeah, suit yeah. with all these like bells and whistles on you. But it is just like it's that moment where you finally are like this is just fucking ridiculous. But I'm gonna have fun, right? Because <laughs> at least everybody else is doing it too. You know, like for sure, hopefully for sure. you're not just the only one. And like nope, no one else is wearing the suit. Oh, yeah. Just me. <laughs> yeah. But. So it yeah it really that's why I'm like it, you know I remember those days uh, ages ago where like your parents were like don't play too many video games or like they're just freaking ridiculous i'm like excuse me this is a work of art just look at this right (laughs) well anything anything that's like um to use the term for my uh law class that i took is anything fixed in a tangible form uh you like that look at this all right see i know some stuff (laughs) breaking out the legal ease yeah yeah so fixed in the tangible form to me is art Mm -hmm. you know i mean art is so such a broad term and that's a conversation in itself but we do have uh, our movie to shoot, so we're going to get some prep for that. But I do thank you for being on here. No, absolutely. Thank you for having me. And listen, folks, if Give me a high five. Oh, yeah. Boom. Up. <laughs> and again, that's what you're going for. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody's around and we still have the awkward like white guy handshake. Yeah, because I was like, oh, is he one on high five? It's weird that it's with the left hand, but OK. <laughs> God dang, Dan! See your your inability to do gang, gang signs here. I mean, God. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> How dare you? Yes. Um, but no, uh, Liz. Seriously, thank you so much for having me on here. It's just such a pleasure to be here. And you know, again, it's uh, it's awesome to work with you on another film project again. Same here. So same here. Happy man. to bring it to life. All right, man. Thank you. Thank you. Peace out. 